Welcome to the first ever episode of the Flat Out RC podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to the hobby of radio control flying. So if you're into aeroplanes, gliders, halleys, drones, you name it, this is the podcast for you. So welcome aboard. It's our first ever episode. So make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. And remember, the early adopters always win. So be an early adopter with the Flat Out RC podcast and get on board. Now, as I said, my name's Andrew Sill. I am the founder of Flat Out RC. Now, Flat Out RC was a magazine that I started way back in 2017, ceased printing it in November 2009, and uh, issue 10 was the last edition, moving now more into the digital realm. So we're across YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, of course, and now a podcast. So make sure you subscribe to all the Flat Out RC channels to get involved. Every single channel sort of has this little little uh, difference. Not everything is the same across all of our channels. Every channel is a little bit different. So make sure you subscribe to all of them, Flat Out RC. Now, I've been in the hobby for a long time. Uh, I, I started way back in the 80s uh, as an avid follower of the hobby. I was into Airborne Magazine that Australian magazine that uh, we all uh, grew up to love, no longer with us, sadly. And I uh, just loved reading every page. I probably I wore them out. And then uh, built my first glider into the late 80s, an Aeroflight Albatross for my brother. I broke it on the bus stop, carrying it to the park. Uh, long story. Built another Aeroflight Aries glider. Big break, gone to a heli, got into aeroplanes hardcore in about 2011 onwards. And... Uh, have been hooked ever since. Now I've got a marketing background, run a marketing business called Sill Marketing. And so I enjoy producing content now for the aero modeling hobby. Just another way that I get to enjoy the aero modeling hobby. So let's get into it. So what we're going to do with this podcast is going to be a lot of different segments uh, covering news, uh, products, product reviews, and it will always feature an interview with someone from the hobby so that we can learn from them and just be entertained. It's all about just having fun, nothing serious here. So let's get into the news. Well, as we're all aware, it's now what early April and we are in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak. And what does that mean for we aero modelers? Sad times. Uh, all the flying clubs are shut here in Australia and a lot around the world. Nobody is out there flying. But I suppose the upside is that we can always still enjoy aero modeling in various different ways, including building planes, repairing planes. And I'm in the midst of re repairing a lot of air aircraft at the moment. I've got a jet that I've got to finish. I've got some 100cc aerobatic models that need to get sorted out. And that's what I'm going to be occupied, do, uh, occupied with whilst I'm stuck here at home now the other good thing is that a lot of our retailers our hobby retailers are still out there working they may have shut their doors to people walking into their stores some haven't but uh some have uh but their online stores are still operational and they're still shipping out products so if you want to get out there and finish that project cover that airplane put a new engine maybe some update the servos you can go to places like model flight desert aircraft australia rc world those kind of places, all BRC, they've got stock and they are shipping product out. So don't be afraid to keep your hobby going, uh, get those spare parts that you need from the retailers because they are still open. But stay away from the flying fields, stay away from the parks, 
we are not allowed to fly our aircraft. And I'll tell you what, if you went out there and had a crack at flying a plane and someone caught you, you're going to look like a bad bloke. So just stay in the garage, stay in the shed, whatever you need to do. Listen to some uh, uh, the Flat RC podcast. Tell your mates if they're bored to listen to it. Watch some YouTube videos, whatever. Just stay away from the flying field. So not great times for everyone in the world at the moment. I hope everybody's holding up okay. Pretty stressful time, but we will get through it. One of the segments we're going to have here at Flat RC is we want to take a look at any new products that have come out into the marketplace because we all love our hobby products here at Flat Out RC. We know you do as well. And I must say, there haven't been many new products out there in the marketplace at the moment. You know, we're stuck in this COVID-19 thing. A lot of businesses have been sort of shut down, so there ain't a lot of development, but there always is something. And Hangar 9, the guys, the Horizon Hobby Hangar 9 brand have released a new giant scale plane called the Carbon Cub FX3. It's a 165-inch wingspan, 100-200cc gas motor power plant to move this baby along. Now, we all know about Cubs, and we all know how people fly clubs and what they're designed for. You know, they are really a short takeoff and landing bush plane style thing, especially the Carbon Cub variant. Now, Carbon Cub is the modern day variant of the old J3 Cub using modern materials such as carbon to build the airframes to get them light, bigger motors, really overpowered planes to get that short takeoff uh, experience out in the bush. And they're not cheap aircraft to purchase. Believe you me, I've had a look on their website to see how much they go for and because I've always loved the old the carbon cubs. So similar platform to the traditional cub, but the carbon cub really are just a modern day version. And Hangar 9 with their carbon cub FX3, 165 inch. Now, 165 inches translate to centimeters to 419 centimeters. That's four meter wingspan on this carbon cub. So <laughs> you're gonna need plenty of space in your shed and a mighty big trailer to get this out to the field. So some of its features are its scale looks, of course. It, it has been licensed uh, by the Carbon Cub uh, company to um, Horizon to build this model. So when that happens, you know that you're working off the real plans and that you're going to have some great scale looks. Uh, and it does. It does look like the real thing, really. The scheme is phenomenal. The scheme is actually based on a, a real Carbon Cub FX3. It could be an FX3 or it's a Carbon Cub model, uh, maybe not the FX3, but it is mimicking a real-life aeroplane. Now, one of the biggest scale details I look for in such a plane, a bush plane, is the landing gear, and they've done an excellent job here. They've really, uh, it, it's fully articulating. Uh, the only the only problem I have is that I don't like the wheels. The wheels are too narrow. They need to find some inflatable bush Alaskan wheels to go on this thing, and they know that because they mentioned it in one of their videos that, they really would like to have those wheels, but nobody makes them. So if you can make inflatable wheels, go and have a chat with Horizon Hobby because they are looking for a supplier. But besides that, uh, it, it's just phenomenal, the undercarriage. Uh, it's got like the elastic or the bungee or whatever it is, that um, the spring-loaded uh, undercarriage, which is nice and uh, nice and bouncy, but not too bouncy, so it's going to fling you in the air. It's got a great tail wheel, a uh, really robust tail wheel, with, tail wheel with springs on it, which you also need you know, to complement the front wheels, horsetail drag configuration. 
Now, the Carbon Cubs have flaps. They're not like the old J3 Cubs that do not have flaps. And we love flaps because it just makes the short takeoff and landing even better. And so, of course, all Carbon Cubs do come with flaps, and they're pretty damn big flaps as well. So that's going to give them excellent uh, slow flight character characteristics. And, of course, with a massive wing, this thing is just going to crawl along. Imagine doing a low pass at a flying event in this plane. Your people are going to notice. It's going to make you feel good. Um, they've put uh, like uh, little pitot tubes on the top and uh, an antenna and a six-inch carbon spinner, which just looks amazing. This is going to spin a massive prop. I'm not sure exactly what prop. Now, speaking of props, power plants, etc., they're saying that anywhere from 100 to 200cc size gas motor, I reckon about the 150cc, like a DA150 would be great in this aircraft. But I suppose if you go a bit smaller, you'd have more scale-like characteristics. And if you want to go up to that DLE triple two kind of motor, the quad banger uh, gas motor, then it'd be great as a glider tug. And you do get a, a, a tug hook included in the kit. Comes all pre-hinged. They're recommending about 20 plus hours. I reckon, yeah, it'd be 30 plus, I reckon, if you take your time. Uh, some other scale details, the fold down side uh, doors, like the split doors that fold up and down on one side of the airframe so you can got, got good access into the cockpit. And you could you could really detail this up. One of my mates, Dominic, would love a plane like this. Actually, he did contact me. Dominic, who you may have seen in some of the YouTube videos, head of the peanut gallery, he loves uh, a carbon he loves fitting a cub out with nice scale interior including you know door coverings and all that kind of stuff so you could really go to town and you probably get your whole head into the side of the uh the fuzz there because it's just that big so all in all a really really big plane it, it, it at the moment it looks like it's going to cost around the aussie three thousand dollar mark uh so it's not a cheap airframe but nor should it be with the quality and the size there's a lot of material and a lot of building that goes into this and of course, freight costs. We're talking about a, a fuselage length that's close to three meters. So it's a pretty damn big plane. You're getting a pretty big trailer to get this to the field. But you know what? You, you're probably going to buy one if you've already had something similar. So realistically, that's what happens. People that love giant scale planes just absolutely adore them and keep on buying more. So you've got a big shed. Take a look at the Hangar 9 Carbon Cub FX3. Jump onto the Model Flight website at modelflight.com.au and because uh, I found it there. Uh, still not in the country yet, but they will be coming here in the coming months, I believe. So stay tuned if you're in this market for a giant scale cub. The Hangar 9 Carbon Cub FX3 165-inch wingspan plane. So let's move on now to our special guest. Now, our guest today is a guy by the name of Craig Bavery. Now, Craig Bavery is probably known to a number of people across a number of different continents. First of all, Craig was born in South Africa. He moved to the UK in later years, and now he now resides in Australia with his lovely wife. Now, Craig is known as an aerobatics guy. He has competed uh, over the UK and internationally into Europe as well at the uh, European Extreme Flying Championships over the years. And he migrated to Australia with his wife and works here now. And even his work has a, has a great connection to aero modelling. So 
Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and I thought, let's get him on for the first episode of uh, Flat Out RC and find out a bit more about Craig Bavery. So let's go and have a chat with Craig. Craig Bavery, thank you for joining me on the first ever episode of Flat Out RC Podcast. How does that make you feel? Oh, it makes me feel very privileged, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Well, Craig, we've known each other for a while, probably ever since you've come into Australia. But for those that don't know you, just give us a bit of a high-level rundown about who you are and your involvement in aero modelling. Right. Um, um, I'm obviously South African-born. Um, left, uh, left South Africa in 2003 to immigrate to the UK um, and you know, sort of spent 12 years in England and um, now I'm obviously now in Australia, sort of immigrated out here in 2015. Um, it sort of was the next best thing from, from home, back back in South Africa, and really enjoying it. Now, tell me, how did you get into aero modelling? Because I'm always fascinated how people started out in the hobby and got into it. Oh, it's, a, it's quite a good question, actually. Um, I think, I suppose everybody's journey starts off when, they, when they're little kids, little toddlers running around the place, I guess. Um, the first sort of captivation, or first, sort of aircraft that captivated me was a, a little uh, FX 124th scale um, hurricane that my uncle had. Um, I f- sort of recall I was about six years old and I was told, you know, I can have a look at it, but, you know, put my hands behind my back as every uh, parent would tell you not to touch, but have a look. Um, and I think that's sort of what got it kicked off. And then uh, w- when did you start actually flying radio control aircraft? Um, in 1996, I was probably about 15 or 16 years old. Um, a work colleague of my mom, um, of my mom, she, he used to fly model airplanes and I got invited to go along. Um, and, um, you know, I thought, no, this is great. And before up until then, I was sort of always at home trying to build, you know, sort of scratch build model airplanes out of matchsticks and dope and tissue as, as you go, as you try, um. And, um, yeah, that was my first introduction to, to flying or going flying. Um, came home absolutely stoned out of my tree from all the methanol smells, and that's what, that's what got me hooked. And what was your first plane? Uh, first plane was a 40-size stick um, that I actually got from the guy that taught me how to fly, um, and I overpowered it with a 65 um, two-stroke. So that was my first um, real airplane. So you've overpowered it from an early age. Yep. Was that when, why did you do that? Was we getting into aerobatics early on or what, what was the idea? Uh, I think, I think just in general, like, you know, I was, you know, sort of, I lived with, with only with my mum and my brother. Um, so money was, was very tight in those days. Um, it was sort of the deal that came along. Um, the hobby in that, in the time when I was trying to get into it was, was quite expensive, you know, trying to pay for it for yourself. Um, you know, parent, my, my mom didn't really have the money to um, to fork out for it. So it was lots of saving, you know, doing little deals here and there to, to get something. And the 65 engine turned up um, at quite a good price. And that's why I grabbed it. Excellent. Now, let's fast forward a bit. But uh, how did you get into aerobatics? Because aerobatics is your thing, really. Um, yeah, that's actually quite a quite an interesting question. Um, I guess I was always... Yeah, I was always just off this, you know, always interested in something more performance. Um, I guess the um, the the freedom of you know being able to do loops and rolls and you know all a bit of the crazy stuff. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't like I sort of specifically went out and chose a particular path. I think it chose me, if that makes some weird and wonderful sense. And did you have any inspiration along the way? Any other aero modelers that really fostered your love of aerobatics? 
Oh man, when I when I sort of really start having a look at that, you know, it was the days of watching the TOC to, um, champion uh, tournament of champions, um, which is now the T Tucson Aerobatic Shootout um, competition. I'm um, sort of going back and watching, you know, videos with the likes of, um, you know, back then even it was like Andrew Jeski was really good, um, you know, Kiki Solanzini, Chip um, Hyde, um, yeah, Chip Hyde, Christoph Pace of Larue, you know, sort of that golden era when sort of 3D was really kind of, you know sort of getting up up you know getting international media exposure I'd, I'd, I'd guess um you know and the, and i think what really inspired me to really kind of get into the aerobatics was just the bigger models you know i think that's that's just what made me go wow that's amazing you are renowned for your large-scale models like everything ever since i've known you you've only ever had large airplanes at what point did you get into the giant scale aerobatic planes oh not say nine say 2006 I would say it was when I sort of made the transition from 50 cc or two two meter wingspan airplanes into 100 cc um the first 100 cc or big gas I had was a an old Faber Classics extra 330 um and that's yeah that's where it all really kicked off and you're in South Africa at this point in time no this is when I when I moved to England um the aerobatic flying only really started kicking off when I moved there in 2003. You know, I was sort of out of my own now, not at home anymore, was in, in a better financial situation, you know, out of South Africa where I had, I started actually having a more of a disposable income. Um, so I could actually buy the models that I really wanted. And, you know, I started off with some of the Black Horse small, you know, I'd say 60, 60 size um, flow aeroplanes. Um, you know, sort of crashed a lot of them, got into the electrics when Extreme Flight came on the scene and then, um, you know, got into the two-metre sort of YS-160 powered, um, you know, glow, glow, glow airplanes and then made the jump from there to 50cc and then now uh, obviously the 100cc stuff. Now, back then in the UK, what was the aerobatic scene looking like? Um, I was fairly new to it. I guess I guess it it, um, it, it was pretty – it was going really well. Um you know, I think everyone sort of, it's, until I actually found my footing, you know, I moved to a new country, didn't know who was about, you know, kept to a, a local, it wasn't even a flying club, it was just a, a public bit of land that was set aside by the council as a as a bit of, you know, an RC airfield, I guess. Um, and then you start building up those relationships with people along those areas and then you sort of broaden out and then you become known and you just keep sort of doing your thing in your little bubble, you know, I guess. Well, let's just fast forward a little bit more. Because mm. you ended up uh, competing in aerobatics uh, in the UK, also in, in Europe as well. Uh, yeah. Tell me a bit about that that era. Um, so my competition flying really kicked off in around about 2007. Um, the first competition I flew in was the British Freestyle Championships. And I guess with every country, they kind of have their own internal little freestyle aerobatic competition thing. Um, and I think um, when I entered that comp, it was probably, I think, the third year running that they'd actually had it. Um, they had various classes, like RMAC, they had, you know, this, this sort of beginner, um, intermediate, advanced, and then unlimited. Um, I flew in the um, advanced and actually won it so that we're, year. We're talking about freestyle aerobatics here. Yes, yeah. freestyle aerobatics. So um, I won the advanced class, um, and I think that was sort of the catalyst for, yeah, you know, I really dig this sort of stuff. and. Um, you know, I sort of started getting noticed and I guess that's where my um, show circuit scene started kicking off as well. 
Um, I got pulled onto the team to represent all the extreme flight aircraft um, for the UK distributor. Um, and yeah, that's that's where the show sort of flying started as well and alongside the uh, competition stuff. Now, back then, uh, of course, you had to practice a fair bit. What did your practice regime look like? Um, you know, when I started going over to um, to Europe, probably I'd say I started going over to France in, oh, what was that, maybe 2009, 2009, 2010. Um, you know, I think in the UK we're fortunate, I suppose, in some parts of Australia where, you know, sunshine's up until like 10 o'clock. So during the week, you know, I could actually be out there until 9, 9 10 o'clock at night. Um, practice regime was probably maybe four or five times a week. Um, and I would be averaging on maybe four or five flights within those uh, those days I would actually get up. What about simulator? Did you jump? Did you have sims back then, or uh, we did? Um, you know, we had the very uh, early versions of uh, real flights and um, Phoenix sim as well. Um, I had a double, um, but it just didn't. I, I just felt like I didn't feel really in tune with it. Um, I was picking up really bad habits from it as well. I guess from a um, explore you know if you want to explore this the the basic uh, maneuver set for something that you're trying to learn yeah that would be a good thing but um for me personally it just put me out of tune with with the airplane that i was flying yeah you started competing at the european extreme flying championships how many did you actually compete in in the end um i did 2009 2011 and uh 2013 was the last competition i actually flew in what was that experience like oh incredible um I think leading up to that point, I had quite a bit of experience at other competitions and freestyle was my thing. You know, um, I entered a, a couple of IMACI based competitions. I flew in the German, German Act of Masters in 2010 and 2012. And, you know, the freestyle aspect of that is like IMAC, you know, it only adds 10% to your final score. Um, I did all right in the, um, in the pattern side of it. And I guess that pushed me over the limits where I had to constructively learn another kind of um, skill set with, with the flying. Um, so, you know, all along I sort of, you know, was, yeah, I, I guess competition in, in a way is you can kind of get frustrated with it um, if you're not placing well. And then I'd say in my early years, that's what it was. Um, and then until I just hit a point where you just got to be humble and, and um, I'd say the Extreme Flight Championships was, you know, now you're on a big stage, you're competing against some of the, you know, best freestyle pilots in the world. And I just felt humble just to be part of it. You know, I think just having my name on the score sheet was was a bonus and and just rubbing shoulders with some of, you know, the greats within with within the hobby was just um was just amazing. You know, I think for me it was more about making the friends than the um, results that I got from it. That's a good point. Uh, you know, I always say that our hobby is multifaceted doesn't matter whether you're winning or losing, you, you can still have fun and it's the connections that you make with other people. Now, during that era of your uh, EXFC competing, what aircraft were you actually flying? Right. Um, so I'll sort of run down some of the airplanes I did fly through the years. Um, at the 2009 EXFC, I flew a Cardin aircraft. I flew a 118-inch 300. Um in uh, 2011, I flew a Krill uh, Sukhoi 29. And then in the last one in 2013, I flew a uh, Krill Extra 330 SE. Which has been your favourite plane so far? Um, I guess I've always been a, an, an extra kind of aer um, aeroplane person. Um, 
the sort of, I'll call them round cull aeroplanes, they got kind of very blunt feel to them, um, where the extras seem very sharp and precise in the air. Um, and I guess I guess the transition from a, a, a sort of wood built up aeroplane to the composite stuff is the composite aeroplanes were that much stiffer and they highlighted a lot of your mistakes. You had to be a lot more precise when you actually fly them. Um, where I find the, the sort of wooden airplanes, they flexed a lot. They sort of, you know, especially the extreme flight stuff, they're sort of very mushy and soft and you feel more comfortable with them, I guess, because, yeah, the, the, the composite stuff will kind of, you know, point a finger at you, you're not doing something right. You've been an avid builder. Like, I'm amazed at some of the projects that you've done and, and you've, been become a, you've become a master at repairing damaged composite planes. <laughs> Uh, you know, someone crashes a composite plane, you get it and you repair it. Now, where did that that passion for building and repairing these planes come from? <laughs> it's funny you say that. I actually prefer um, jigsaw puzzling an airplane back together opposed to actually building something out of a box. Um, I guess this is the challenge of trying to get it looking perfect again. Um, and, you know, the, the, the techniques I've learned over the years have just been really self-taught. Um, and it sort of translates a lot into some of the, the car restorations that I'd also done in the past as well when I was growing up. You know, my dad taught me a lot about mechanics and, you know, bashing things with hammers, as I think all kids do if their dads are into that. Um, and I, I think it's just the final result, the satisfaction that you've taken something that, that could have been thrown in the dustbin and, you know, brought it back to life and it's back in the air flying again. Now, all that experience in... Uh building composite aircraft or rebuilding composite aircraft has led you to your career here in Australia. Now, I know you can't go into too, too much detail about your job because it is there is some secretly aspects around it, but at a high level, what are you working on at the moment here in Australia? Um, so I work for a, for a company, a private-owned a private company, a family-owned business um, out of Port Melbourne. Um, there's a couple of contracts that we've got uh, around uh, defence. And um, my role is um, I'm the, the, the safety test pilot. So um, I look after the flying robots when the ones and zeros don't line up. So uh, a lot of people think that we're just playing around with toys and having a hobby, but uh, you know, playing around their hobby. But you've just proven that you can actually have a career. Do you think that there'll be more opportunities moving forward as we look at UAV technology for, for uh, people that are avid aeromodelers and competent aeromodelers? Absolutely. I think the skills that you learn in aero modeling, um, you know, it's put, puts you in a, in, a, in a really good place. Getting into the aviation industry per se as, you know, making it your career. Um, you know, the engineers I work with, you know, XBAE engineers, um, they've all gone through university and done, you know, the, the aeronautical engineering and, and those kind of degrees, you know, and and a lot of those guys, they've got a fundamental basing on around RC, flying RC stuff. Um, one of the gentlemen I work with, um, he's, you know, he's a, he's an algorithm guru and, um, to this day, he, he frothers over flying something I see, you know, he's, he's a 60 old bloke and, and, and he loves it. So, um, you know, the question where you're going to say if, if error modeling is a fundamental basis for it or foundation, I'd say absolutely. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Well, we know that you love repairing damaged aeroplanes but i've seen another not so small project sitting in your garage and i'm amazed that you've embarked on it now what is that model that you're working on at the moment 
Um, so I sort of, I've, as a lot of you guys might have might have known, I've sort of taken a backseat from uh, from flying. You know, the more the competitive larger um, models. And you've probably seen a lot of the stuff actually got put up for sale, and that was to fund a um, a full size project. Um, I've always been captivated by special airplanes and um, some days I've just got to pinch myself every time I walk into the workshop and actually I've got one sitting there. So tell me, tell us a bit about that pits that you've got sitting in your garage. Where did it come from? Um, so I purchased that airplane some two years ago now as a, um, as a project airplane. Um, it came, I shipped it in from uh, Wichita in Kansas. Um, it was built in 1979. And uh, lost in 2000 when it uh, had the engine pulled out for overhaul. It was subsequently never got put back in. So I, I imported the uh, the project without the engine. Now, it, it, it's amazing how small the plane actually is. It fits in your garage. So where are you up to with it? Um, we've managed to do a full nut and bolt restoration on it. So where I could, every nut and bolt that I could actually remove and replace, I've done. Um, we also did the firewall forward. Um, so the engine's at a state where uh, we, we just got to fit um, fuel injection and uh, a few accessories onto that. Um, also upgraded the, the instrument panel as well, just to bring it more up to a modern standard. Well, I've seen your, your glass copy that you put in on, uh, on your Facebook account. It looks amazing. Yeah, and it's been interesting. It's, it's sort of, uh, I've had quite a few comments on it, quite interesting comments as well. You, know, you sort of get the, the older guys that are very set in the ways of using steam gauges to something that's more of a, an all, all-in-one kind of, you know, um, app sort of based um, uh, system. The pits is a long-term project really for you, isn't it? So when do you envisage getting it in the air? Um, I think, you know, obviously the the, uh, the uh, COVID-19 virus is, you know, it's kind of put a handbrake on a lot of things. And, um, you know, I feel fortunate that I'm in a position where, you know, um, I've still got a really good job. Disposable income is there. Um, but, you know, I think if all the stars align, the airplane itself, I believe, should be ready by the end of the year. Um, me personally, still got a long journey to go with, with the um, with actually learning how to fly the thing. Um, still working through my uh, RPL um, license. I've, um, I've done the um, prescribed um, flying hours before you got to go do your flight test. And, you know, as per usual, um, the theory component gets in the way. It's... Uh, it's a common it's a common topic of, of discussion when you know learning how to fly. Um, I just wish I took the advice of, of some guys in the beginning where they say get the theory out the way and then go have the fun. You know, I've sort of done the fun and now I'm like, oh, I've got to do the theory, the not so fun bit. Yeah. Well, there's no rush because uh, you know, those pits are not the easiest planes to fly. Well, apparently they're okay to fly, it's just the landing is the problem. Yeah, no, you know, there's a description on that saying, you know, they're, they're a shopping trolley with wings and, um, yeah, they're, they pretty much are. Um, and I, and I think, I think the fundamental thing with trying to learn, I guess, with any challenging airplane is just to surround yourself with the right people from the get go. So you don't learn the bad habits and have to relearn, um, the things before you can go near them. Um, so for me personally, it's not, it's not been the, the, the whole magical rush of, yeah, I've got this airplane, I'll throw a bunch of money in it, we'll get it up to a standard where it's flyable, and then, you know, I'll just rush off and not listen to other people's advice and then just go jump in this thing and, and you know, hurt myself, you know. Um, for me, it's been more just the whole journey of it. Um, it's been able to, um, yeah, well, number one, own the airplane um, and be fortunate enough to own the airplane um, and then to, you know, because I'm mechanically minded and I've got support from really good friends in, in the aviation industry where I can be guided along and, you know, I'm, I'm being fortunate enough to actually, you know, 
put spanners on the airplane um, to get it to a state where it can fly. And then also the flying side behind it. You know, I think I think the RC modeling aerobatic experience that I've got is definitely a, um, a helping feature towards towards that. Because um, we understand the move, maneuver inputs and everything else. Um, I'd say for me, the biggest eye opener is just the different perspective of sitting, actually being in an airplane um, and feeling what the airplane's doing, you know? Yeah, I, I've got a, a theory that just because you can fly a full-size plane, it doesn't mean you can fly an RC plane because they're two different things. When you're flying a full-size plane, you're sitting in the plane and when you're flying RC, you're staring at the plane. And I don't think that the two skills are sort of... Uh, transferable. I know that when I get into a, a model, when I get into a full size plane to have a crack at flying it, I know the inputs, as you said, but um, I don't think I could probably land the plane and, and vice versa. But okay, knowing the inputs is a, is a good start. So I actually think that an RC pilot moving into full size is probably better than a full size going back to RC. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, We've, I've, I've had two really, really, really good friends and have done exceptionally well um, um, doing that transition, you know, and there's the likes of, you know, obviously our late, our very good late friend, uh, Ida Sergei was just a natural. I think he was just a freak at everything he put his mind to. Um, I had another good friend in South Africa. He, um, you know, with, I think within four or five, five or six years of doing the transition, he ended up being the world um, intermediate aerobatic champion. Um and, you know, we've got the likes of, you know, um, Mark Leesberg. You know, I think a lot of guys know, know about Mark Leesberg. He now does, he now runs an aerobatic flight school, flying extra 300s out of Tucson, Arizona. Um, and there's a multiple of guys, you know, another guy from Belgium I used to know really well, um, Jens van Dorp. He now flies aerobatics in an extra, extra 200, I, I believe. So, yeah, definitely it helps. Seems to be the natural progression for the young aerobatic uh, model aerobatic pilots to move into full size. Now, let's bring it back into aero modeling. Uh, you, you haven't totally got rid of all your model aircraft, even though you haven't been flying. Now, what models are you currently sitting on in your shed? Oh, the two the two planes that I kind of pulled pulled out of um, retirement, should I say, is um, is uh, the one that I think to me has been always been a, a unicorn aeroplane um, at the time where. You know, I've sort of been, you know, being able to buy competition airplanes or whatnot. There's just one airplane that has always just been out of, I guess, the price bracket at the time and um, the availability, and that's a 3W, 3W Yak-54. Um, and the other model was uh, Ida Sergeyev's older 2011, yeah, competition-winning airplane. So um, that one's not getting repaired. Unfortunately, uh, another very good friend of ours here in Australia had a bad day with it and did some damage to the uh, undercarriage area. And um, I think that airplane's been brought out for a really special reason. I think it's, uh, it's going to be restored back to what its, what its competition um, spec was and uh, be flown around Australia in, in memory of, of Ida, who used to own it. Yeah, that's going to be absolutely awesome. Now, one of your most iconic planes that you've owned is... A big krill extra was a 330sc that was done up in a red bull scheme now we featured it in the flat out rc magazine you've now sold that plane but recently flew it at the at, at the, an air show um tell us a bit about that model because it was such a unique uh plane so um in 2013 when i was at the exfc martin sonko who's who's the czech uh, or used to be the czech red bull air race pilot um, 
he did a display at that competition in his extra 300 SR, which had that color scheme on it. Um, and I was just in awe, awe of watching him fly, you know, in a very small venue, low level, and actually landed the airplane at a model airplane field. And that sort of captivated me and sort of got a, got speaking to the guy a lot more and kept in touch with him when, you know, when he first started coming into the Red Bull Air Race and just a really down-to-earth guy. And, and I think it was just... I guess every era model has got like, you know, they want to make the airplane look like a Red Bull airplane, right? So I had the opportunity there and I managed to, you know, speak to the right people and get, get the permissions to actually use the color scheme. So there's a lot of trademarks with, with Red Bull. Um, and it kind of fell in line at the time, Krill, you know, you look at a lot of um, scale models out there. I think Krill have done a really, really good job at really getting the lines right on that model um, to really um, sort of, mimic the full-size airplane and um that's the canvas i chose um i sold the the 2013 competition airplane to pay for that airplane and um yeah and i enjoyed the painting like i really got got got, got involved with doing some custom paint jobs for other guys and their big RC jets and um i thought that would be the most perfect uh, canvas for it um at the time i also chose uh, the new mv mvvs four-cylinder engine and um so you know the airplane was customized to fit that engine and um you know i had good sponsors at the time half high tech came on board powerbox systems came on board um jmb exhaust systems came on board and um i think it was just the whole package um and just the way it came out the end was just was just pretty special yeah it's, um, it's one of my favorite extras that i've ever seen in the air and the sound that mvvs motor was just phenomenal the sound of it is awesome yeah, it's um, it's definitely a unique um, sounding engine, and I think with it paired up with the JMB canisters, it just makes it sound like a like an electric airplane. You know, if I was took off and flew, probably, you know, 50, 50 to eighty meters away, and held throttle at half throttle, you wouldn't even hear it. Um, that was that was probably one of the memories that I remember when I did the maiden flight in the airplane. Um, was just how quiet it was. You know, and I came from, I came from airplanes flying da one seventies with with rippy props and RE three tuned pipes. Yeah, it was kind of like a bit of a, a, a nutcase in those days. And to go from that to flying something like this, yeah, it was very, very different. Well, you've, uh, you've dabbled into jets as well and, uh, and lots of other little things probably along the way, but out of all the aircraft that you've owned, which has been your favorite? I was thinking about this question today, you know, so, um, it's, it's, I think, I think I've been fortunate to, to financially be able to buy some really cool airplanes. And I guess they've all got their unique um, purpose and unique feeling within time at the time when I actually had those airplanes. But um, the one airplane that stands that stands out to me is not my airplane. It's, um, it was another um, Krill Extra 330 SC 40% that myself and a very good, good friend of mine, Stuart Naylor, put together. Um, and it had a Mentor 220, I believe, in it, also a four-cylinder engine. Um, the airplane just felt really solid. The power was unbelievable. I've never flown a three-meter airplane with, with the power-to-weight ratio that airplane had. And, and I think just in time, that airplane stands out as the best model I've ever flown. Now, you have been around the hobby scene for a long time, and you, you're never going to get out of it, I can tell. Even though you're not flying model planes a lot at the moment, I can tell that you're coming back very soon. Uh, what what tip would you give your fellow aero modelers as far as um, a flying tip or a, any tip to do with uh, the hobby? 
I'd say um, enjoy it for for what it is. Um, you know, when I guess I guess we all sort of become um, a victim of our own success within competition, where we can really take it too seriously and get frustrated with it. Um, I think uh, my biggest advice is just enjoy the company, make the friends, you know, and hold on to those friendships along the way. Um, there might be times in your life where the hobby will come and go. Um, and I think I've sort of be, sort of was in that phase and trying to come and slowly coming back out of that phase. Um, and, um, you know, even to the young guys, you know, um, don't be scared to, to have a chat to the guys that have been there, done it. You know, it's, um, I guess at the end of the day, it's, you know, we, when we're at the top of the top of the game, um, we sort of like sports athletes, you know, sort of when the top of the game, it's awesome. And then we just kind of slow down, but there's all that wealth and knowledge. And I think to the young guys coming in, I think tap into that. Don't be scared to go up to those guys and, and have a good chat. Now as a final question. Uh, I know you got your big pits project, but what's your next project in aero modeling? What are you going to do next? I think the next model will be um, will be to get Edo's aeroplane back up and running. Um, I think after everything that's happened, I think it's all, it just does that aeroplane justice. Um, for me personally, I think it will. Um, I'll enjoy flying it as well. Um, I guess in in my older age, as things are slowing down, I've become quite a nervous flyer as well. Um, even though sometimes it doesn't show. Um, so yeah, at the Thai Air Show where I flew through the uh, Red Bull Extra, it was sort of you know. First time I'd flown in front of public in, in quite a while, and yeah, it was nerve-wracking. But um, yeah, I think that's that's the one I'll come back with. Well, Craig, really appreciate you jumping online with me today. Good to hear your story, and all the best in all your aviation plans in the future. And hope to see you at the flying clubs shortly, and we'll go for a fly. No, let's do it, mate. Um, yeah, Andrew, thanks for for having me on the chat. It was it's good to share the memories, and uh, yeah, I think we need to get up and, and twiddle the sticks, man. Thanks, Greg. Take it easy, dude. See ya. Now let's move on. I want to showcase a product in every episode of uh, Flat Out RC Podcast. So this week, I want to talk about a little motor that I actually did a video on on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. So you've got to subscribe to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel because there will be different content on that from, say, the podcast. But I want to talk about the OSGT120T gas motor. Now, this is a 120cc uh, motor, gasser. So it's used for large-scale planes and aerobatic planes, really. That 120cc, you guys know what I'm talking about. So OS, we know the brand, out of Japan, always known as a high-quality manufacturer of motors for RC and model aircraft needs. And so... The guys at Model Flight sent me one just to take a look at. Didn't get an opportunity to run it, of course, because I've, you know, I've got to give it back to them. But they, they sent one over and uh, pulled it out of the box and just had a play around with it to see how, uh, what the quality was like, etc. cetera. And, um, it was up to the usual OS standard. So what are some of the features that I, I see in this motor? Now, first of all, this motor is not that well known. I've never seen one in the flying field. It's really OS's first um, foray into a large 120cc size gas plane. They've been dabbling in the smaller size, you know, 10cc, I think they've got a 15, uh, 33, uh, which is a great motor, the, the 33cc motor, and also a 60cc motor. So basically this is the 60cc, two of them side by side in that uh, twin cylinder uh, opposed um, format. 
So what we traditionally know and we see in the DA one twenties, the DLE one twenties, and and the RCGF one twenties, those those kind of brands doing the same kind of thing. So what's a bit different between say this OS and uh, say a DLE? Well, first of all, they're using a um, the the crankcase is a machine crankcase out of a solid piece of aluminium. So you can actually see the machining marks in the crankcase. Now the heads are still cast because it's really hard to to you know. Uh, mill heads like that but um, casting them makes sense but that whole crankcase is just by having it made out of aluminium one block of aluminium and then they're machined out means that they can really try to minimize the weight and, and weight is always an important thing that we look like so they can minimize weight but keep the strength as well so you can yes i said you can still see the machining lines in that uh in that um polished aluminium kind of crankcase so that's the, the first thing that definitely stands out the format is very similar to say DLE 120, even I think the um the, the motor doesn't come with mufflers. And uh, to be honest, I always need to pick up their act on the information they put on their website because there ain't that much info out there on say the mufflers because it doesn't come with mufflers. But what I have worked out is that it's basically the same muffler configuration as the DLE 120. Uh, so uh, check when you buy the engine, but uh, I did ring up Model Flight and have a chat with them. They were sort of a bit vague about it as well, but they were going to look into it. Uh, as well, but from what we can tell, it's a DLE 120 sort of muffler would fit onto uh, the OS GT 120T. Now, from a power perspective, I never really trust power figures from manufacturers because it, it's so variable and they can make up stuff. Everybody measures in a different way. What's interesting is when researching this motor, a, a DA, you know, desert aircraft, they don't put power figures on a lot of their engines because they're probably like me, think, oh, well. Um, don't need to just buy the motor you know it's good but i always uh, have put some power figures out there and it seems to be on par with 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 the rest of the market i can't, i don't think this is going to be like five horsepower down so it's pretty much on par the number was a little bit lower than say dle um but it's it's neither here nor there really i think for most of us uh, it all depends on the prop you're running and all that kind of stuff so uh it, i think it's going to be on par with everything else uh, another great feature is the ignition on it. The ignition, um, and, and always have been really good at this. They really design their own ignitions. They're not just grabbing something off the shelf and using it. Uh, a bit like DA, as we know, Desert Aircraft Australia manufactures the ignitions for the desert aircraft in the US. And, and I know Ian up there is designing the ignition modules directly for the DA. But always are doing their own ignition modules. And they're really moving towards this uh, broad voltage range of ignition modules. So now you can run... Uh, you know, a lipo straight into a two cell lipo as an example, straight through to the ignition. So you don't have to worry about regulation uh, of the voltage to that ignition. Plus, I've got some safety features such as uh, you know, the, the motor won't start unless it gets over a certain uh, rev range. So I think it's on like 150 revs per minute or something. And then the motor will start. That will prevent any uh, um, uh, risk, safety risk or anything of, of, the, of the motor just uh, randomly starting. So, uh, it looks great. I'd love to run one, put one in a plane and see how it went. But I think um, knowing OS quality is going to be great. Now, I have got experience with their 33cc size motor, and it does start backwards a lot. I'm interested to see whether the OS GT120T starts backwards. Now, the OS33, that does start backwards because the timing is very advanced, but the power output is amazing out of that OS motor. The reliability has been really good. And so with the OS... GT, I wouldn't expect anything less. We just need to get some out there and uh, and see how they go. So the other good thing about uh, the OS motor is that it is supported locally. That uh, I'm a big fan of. If you're going to buy a motor, especially a gas motor, then you 
you buy it from uh, you buy the brand that can be supported locally. And we're really lucky here in Australia that we've got Desert Aircraft, DLE, RCGF, and OS Motors that, uh, with local representation that can check the motors out. And I know the guys at uh, Model Flight look after the OS range, and if any problems with their motors, they don't have a problem in sending it back to Japan. And OS are awesome at, at repairing motors. They've got plenty of spare parts. You'll be able to get parts locally as well. And you know, because it is like an OS GT60, well, you could probably share some of those parts as just pistons and things like that, but not that many of us are out there rebuilding motors all the time. So definitely, if you're in the market for a 120cc size gas motor for uh, your aerobatic plane, your um, scale plane, maybe even your uh, your new Hangar 9 carbon cub that you might get, your massive carbon cub, then take a look at the OS GT120T. Again, go to Model Flight, have a look on their website. I think they're doing a special at the moment about $1,800. So from a price point, it is similar to a DA. It's a little bit more expensive than some of some of the other brands uh, coming out of, say, China, but uh, you're going to get OS quality. You know that. So take a look. Model Flight, OS GT, 120T, 120cc gas motor. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Well, that's about all we have today here at Flat Out RC for you. Episode one, done and dusted and in the can. A big thanks to Craig Bavery for joining me. Uh, great to hear his story. Can't wait to go for a fly with him again and see some of the models that he's finishing up and, of course, the big pits. Now, you can stay in touch with Flat Out RC on a daily basis. You can just follow us on our Facebook channel, our Instagram channel, and, of course, our YouTube channel. Jump on the Flat Out RC on YouTube, search for the channel, you'll find us there and make sure you subscribe because we're really trying to grow that channel. Love producing videos, you can go back and have a look at what we've been doing over the past couple of years on Flat Out RC. And of course, the podcast, make sure you subscribe. And of course, there's also merchandise. If you want to buy Flat Out RC merchandise, especially if you're in Australia, uh, jump online to flatoutrc.com.au. Merch available there now, flatoutrc.com.au. And now and again, we're putting up new uh, new designs, so stay tuned on the flatoutrc.com.au website. So thank you all for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this first episode. I promise you, it will get better as we refine what we do. The, worst, the first one's always the worst one. But once again, thanks for all the support that uh, a lot of you have given me over the years for Flat Out RC, and I hope you enjoy this next venture in the Flat Out AC world, which is the podcast. So thanks for joining us. <laughs>